0: This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO. PennyMac is committed to advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, the mortgage industry, and the community, including the promotion of affordable and sustainable home ownership. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC. Equal housing lender NMLS ID number 35953. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. But I love just the fact that they're stepping out and they're, they're not, for many of them, letting fear of certain market conditions sway them.
1: This is Gated Communities, where we talk about everything you're not supposed to talk about in the mortgage industry. Welcome back to Gated Communities. Today, we have a top producing MLO and senior vice president of Meadowbrook Financial Mortgage Bankers, Rajan Ramdahal. So a lot of people think that it's too early to talk about Gen Z, but according to Rajan, it most definitely isn't. He's worked extensively with this ambitious generation that studies show would rather buy a home than get stuck in the renting trap. Many also want to pull themselves out of the renting trap and begin building generational wealth. But this generation also has a lot of hurdles to overcome, including student debt, high rents, and an unaffordable market. Although it's debatable whether to call these borrowers underserved, no one can deny how tough it is for some of them to get into a home. So we're going to give you some insight today on what it's like working with these generations and how you yourself can begin working with these borrowers. So thank you again for joining us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a great topic. Um, It's one that I hold dear to my heart with working with uh, Gen Zers and, uh, you know, being a part of that process of uh, homeownership and being able to walk them through all the steps, listen to, uh, you know, their concerns and offer insights and how we can um, help them through this process.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I think it's definitely a job where you have to be educational in some sense Um, because, you know, a lot of people criticize, we we don't get this type of education in school. Um, You know, sometimes our parents teach it to us, but their uh, knowledge is somewhat limited. So let's talk about what are your biggest challenges working in today's market?
0: Well, I think, you know, The main thing I want to talk about when it comes to that is, uh, and I feel like it's just the elephant in the room, everyone's talking about it, are rising interest rates. Um, Obviously, we've seen that the feds have made um, unprecedented moves in the market recently trying to tackle inflation. That's led them to raise interest rates at the fastest level that they've ever raised rates. And so this is a major challenge, not just for myself in the industry, but for home buyers. A lot of them did not expect interest rates to move this rapidly, um, especially coming off of uh, you know, the COVID years, where we saw very, very low interest rates, record low interest rates. And then we came into now within almost a six to eight month span, rapidly increasing interest rates. So that's been a major Hurdle for a lot of home buyers adapting, understanding affordability, um, what they can now afford versus six months ago or eight months ago when um, rates were much lower.
1: Absolutely. And even as we're seeing prices decline, still the, mo- the interest rates are ratcheting up. So you might be, it's a little tricky for someone who's kind of unpracticed in this. You go on Zillow, you're like, wow, this is an affordable home. Um, prices are dipping. And then you get hit with the interest rate and you realize monthly payments are still very expensive.
0: Yeah, exactly. And in some areas, um, you know, prices really haven't decreased because there's still a bit of pent up demand. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, we're starting to slowly see that even when a buyer feels that, Hey, there's an opportunity, there's a property that's available. I really want this. And then they start to plug those numbers in at the current market rates. Um, you know, and, and the main thing is that information it it doesn't move as rapidly sometimes where people, because they're not looking at this on a day-to-day basis. So sometimes, you know, they look at the market um, or, their, or, or their affordability two months, three months ago and realize now when they're looking back in, in that market, their payments are a couple hundred dollars higher because of interest rates. And now they're having to rethink uh, whether they want to buy.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. it's It's hard to deal with this type of volatility. And what do you say to people who, kind of question you for working with Gen Zers and millennials. I mean, what age range are you seeing w- w- for your clients?
0: So to be honest with you, I I see, and I'm excited about it. Um, I'm seeing uh, buyers that uh, are as young as, you know, 21, 22 years old. Um, and they are looking to get into the market. Now, for most of those buyers, many of them are looking at it from an investment side. Um, You know, they're starting to realize um, that there's opportunities in real estate. And so they're looking at and for some of them, you know, over the last few years, they've come into some money, whether it's through trading or crypto or 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 just family. And they realize that, hey, I want to park my money into something that I believe will give me a return. And it might not necessarily be today or tomorrow, but some point down the line, we do know that real estate values tend to appreciate. So, um, you know, I see a lot of buyers now, as I mentioned, at 21, 22 years old. And, the reason why I, I have a special heart for that was because, you know, I took a leap of, uh, of faith uh, of many, many years ago. And I bought my first home at 24. And I remember how scary that was for me back then thinking, you know, am I making the right decision? Am I buying at the height of the market? Am I getting the right interest rate? Am I getting the right you know mortgage program? Now, I was a loan of, loan officer at that time, and I still had all these fears. So I can imagine someone that's, you know, not in the industry that's trying to buy a property and all the fears that they're facing. So, um, again, I am I'm I'm happy to see that, you know, the younger generation stepping in into the market, looking at opportunities and looking at ways to uh, capitalize and utilize their, their cash flow into something that, you know, uh, like like home Mm hmm.
1: And we'll definitely talk about that people who are coming in with the investor mindset and whether it's still a good time to invest, because I think a lot of the people that really made a killing off of investing in real estate got into it maybe during the 2008 housing crash um, or maybe within the past few years during COVID. It was definitely opportunistic time then. And we're not so sure. It's kind of questionable now. Is it still an opportunistic thing to do um, investing in real estate in the 2022 market? Or, perhaps in 2023. Um, but it, we don't really know what's going to happen then. But we'll definitely get into that. Um, for now, let's let's talk about some of the financial challenges and hurdles that this generation is dealing with. A lot of people know there's a student debt issue. We're trying to get that forgiven. Please forgive, forgive us for going to college. Um, <laughs> some uh, some deal with low credit. You know, I mean, I don't know how at 22, how long have you had a credit card? Do you have a credit card? Um High rents, if you are renting now, a lot of people are calling it the renting trap and that's appreciating just as quickly, if not more in some places. Um, Unaffordable homes, um, not everybody has financial knowledge um, coming right out of school. And if you're not married, then you're making a single income. And I imagine that must be hard. So what type of problems are are you seeing out of those? And are you seeing additional issues?
0: So, I, I mean absolutely i see pretty much everything you've talked about there right um i would say the number one issue is uh student loan debt um more and more and more you know we see people that want to get into the market that want to buy but have very high student loan debts i mean i've seen as high as 400 500 thousand dollars worth of student loan debt and that individual is starting out making 50 60 70 thousand dollars in salary and so They want to buy. There's a desire to buy. But then it's well, you know, from a from a lending perspective, how does that bank treat that um, student loan debt? And for most banks, they're going to take half of one percent of that student loan. So whether it's 50,000, 100,000, 400,000, that's a major debt that you're now carrying, trying to qualify for a mortgage. So that number one is a major uh, issue. You also talked about the fact of you know, um, lower, lower credit scores. And I feel like we, and you mentioned it earlier on where you say, I feel like there's a lack of uh, information and there's a lack of education. And so too, too often, one of two things, one, um, these credit card companies look at opportunity to get students to sign up Um, because they realize that students aren't really going to look much at the interest rate. They just have a need, you know? And so when you're in college and you're thinking, Hey, I need a couple extra bucks because I got to make it through the week. I got to buy books. I have to buy food, whatever it may be. And now you have a credit card that you can utilize. You're not thinking about my ability to pay back that debt, or you're not thinking about what interest am I paying on it? You're just thinking that that's capital that I have that I can use. So, Now, what happens is you kind of start spiraling out because if you have one, two, three credit cards and you max them out and then all of a sudden you don't really have the income coming in, right? Then you can't pay it and you start having bad credit. Um, So now you get out of college, uh, again, a desire to buy. Uh, No one's teaching you how to build back credit and how to utilize it. And so you're stuck with lower credit scores trying to build out of that. So you've got two strikes against you. You've got, again, uh, student loan debts and you've got credit card debts that are now preventing people. Um, And then throw into that, the other point that you talked about, which is rent. uh, If you're going to live on your own, now you have rent that's kind of cutting into your savings and the money that's available to be able to deploy into putting as a down payment or buying a property. So that's limited. So you've got all these factors that are coming into play. But what I'm happy to say is that what I'm seeing are that that younger generation, Gen Zers are also very savvy. And so they're looking at ways to invest. I see more and more young, in a sense, even entrepreneurs, Um, you know, kids that started business at 15, 16, 17, doing online uh, selling or online businesses or different types of businesses, but have saved up money. And now are able to use that as well. So, you know, it's kind of like a, a both sides of the coin. While I do see some challenges on the other part that I talked about initially, I do see opportunities where Gen Zers, um, you know, have money, have be- have made money doing other forms of businesses and are using that to be able to buy properties.
1: hmm. And with all these obstacles and and hurdles in the way, why do you think that so many of them um, want to jump into home buying rather than renting?
0: Um, So for a couple of different reasons, Um, I I, again, I do believe from at least my uh, perspective of what I see, most of it is an investment perspective, Hmm. Um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, because what they're looking at is it's a first step right? It's a first step to be able to own something that they know will appreciate in value, even if we hit bumpy markets like 2022 or even 2023. And let's say values do go down. What we've learned from 2008 was that even though there was a market crash, there was also a market cycle that uh, rose rapidly and values appreciated, right? So I think you know being able to look back and to learn from that, they're now looking at the fact that, hey, Markets go up, markets go down, but it goes back up, right? So if they could get into real estate at an opportunity, at some point, they know values will go up. And even if it's not their ideal first home that they're getting into, they know that they can leverage that property a few years down the line, capitalize and utilize the equity that's there and use it to purchase maybe the dream home. Or maybe at that point, if they're married and they have a family and they want to expand, again, it can fund that next property. And even if that's not the agenda, the other goal that I'm hearing a lot of is I want to have a a, a real estate portfolio. Um, I want to have positive cash flow. I want to be able to let my investments pay for my my lifestyle, or just my life in a general sense. So I think that's what's really funding and 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 I'm sorry, what's really driving Gen Zers into getting into real estate at, at a younger age.
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome and. Well, I I'm, imagine working with this group, you kind of have to be creative with with what you're offering and finding programs of that nature. So what makes it easier for you to work with this generation? I know you on your TikTok channel because you're very in touch with this generation. You have a TikTok channel, you have an Instagram, and you talk about this sort of thing. So what kind of solutions um, do you offer up to these clients?
0: So the first thing is why I love working with them is because they're savvy. And, you know, they'll go, they'll Google something, they'll look up videos, they'll go on social media and, and they'll check out hashtags and, you know, they'll they'll gather information. So the majority of times, even when we're having an initial conversation and I'm giving information, there's still somewhat of an idea of a general idea of what's going on. And then we might get granular with some questions that are there. But I love just the fact that they're stepping out. And they're they're not for many of them letting fear of certain market conditions sway them. Um, I think back about even, you know, my folks and my parents, there was always this sense of fear. And two things. Most of them were buying just for the sole purpose of raising a family. They weren't really thinking of, hey, this is something that's going to appreciate in value, and it's really an asset, and this could be my ticket to retirement, right? um, they were just looking at it as, Hey, I need space. I need a house for my family. And that was really it. And so, um, too often many of them weren't asking the right questions. Um, they weren't really educated. So they basically just took whatever they got. Um, because as long as someone painted the picture of, you're going to get into a, get into a home, that was all they cared about. Um, with Gen Zers, You know, what I love about them is that they've they've learned from the past again, you know, seeing what their parents might have gone through back in 2008 and and before that. And even after that, understanding that they're not going to just jump into something without educating themselves and asking the necessary questions. And so um, for me, it's about. Taking the past. Understanding that that's one of the tools that they're using to make informed decisions, bringing the education, the information and then offering them loan products. So when I sit down with them, I'm asking them, what is your overall goal? What are you looking to achieve? Are you looking at something that's short term? Are you looking at long term? And then we start getting to that granular part about, you know, the specifics of how to qualify. So what we've seen over the last uh, couple of years is a rise in what we call non-QM. Or non-traditional mortgage products. And so for a lot, again, of our Gen Zers that are entrepreneurs, um, that are investors, you know, day traders, whatever it may be, there's capital that's there, but there are not a lot of traditional loan programs that are going to provide them an opportunity to buy homes. And so that's where we come in and we've identified that. As a matter of fact, that's one of the main things that I try to do is to stay ahead. Of where the markets are going. And so, for the last couple of years, I saw that this was a rise and an uptick in this type of lending. And so, we deployed a lot of products available to that type of buyer, right? So, whether it was qualifying with uh, bank statements, um, you know, a very popular loan is a debt service coverage ratio or a DSCR, uh, which is using rental income to qualify. Um, Profit and loss, uh, you know, you can use a profit and loss uh, statement, 1099 statements. So these are real products that are designed to help, uh, again, um, you know, buyers like Gen Zers who might not otherwise have opportunities to purchase.
1: Mm -hmm. And I imagine you also see a lot of FHA owner occupied as well as as a common strategy. Yes, especially lowers down payment. Yeah.
0: And I don't want to neglect that because that is absolutely another major part of our buyers Um, and and people understanding that, hey, I don't necessarily have to wait for an 800 credit score to buy a property. I don't have to wait to put down 20 percent to buy a property. Um, I can leverage the opportunity that I have, whether it's conventional financing that allows me to put as little as three percent down or FHA financing that allows me to put as little as three and a half percent down. So with little money vested into that deal, I can still become a homeowner. Mm -hmm. Um, And and as I said earlier, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that, hey, that's the final property that I want. I'm just looking at a foot in the door and me utilizing these types of loan programs puts me with that foot in the door of becoming a homeowner
1: hmm. So do you think that Gen Zers and millennials, as far as you're saying, do they care about interest rates or do they have a lot of questions about it?
0: So um, it's a mixed bag. Um, you know, there are some that are very concerned about it. But, you know, once we're there and I'm able to kind of walk them through that and, and kind of show them the information. And, and just, again, going back historically, showing them that, look, when I entered into the industry, interest rates back then were eight to 10 percent. And that was in the early 2000s. Right. When my parents bought homes back in the middle 80s, it was, you know, 12 and 13 percent on an adjustable rate mortgage. So now when you're looking at interest rates, even at where they are now. At hovering around 7%. And there's some buyers that are like, oh my goodness, rates are so tremendously high. Everything is a cycle. And so we understand that rates might be high now, but the only reason they're high is because the government's trying to tackle inflation. Once they kind of tackle that, the next step is to lower back interest rates. And so we show them that it's a cycle, right? So even if they're getting in now, if there is an opportunity for them to buy because prices are coming down, they can get into that property. And in a year or two or whenever the rates come back down to where it's really beneficial to them, they can always refinance. So when we start to show them that picture and understand that, look, this is not something you're locked in for for the next 30 years of your life and you have no other options. Once we start to show them that, then it becomes more of a conversation of, oh, okay, so it's not as bad as I thought. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's for the people that have concerns about interest rates. And then for the other individuals that we talk about um, that are really from an investment mindset, they're looking at it as, hey, I'm looking at my bottom line payment. I'm looking at, you know, what my rental income would be on it or, you know, potential rental income. And so for us, it's, hey, if rents are here, my payments here, I'm okay with it. I'm not really concerned about interest rate. Mm -hmm. So that's the two sides that we're seeing.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think maybe a a longer term problem, a bigger problem is is low inventory and what we're seeing there. So FHA, you might not be seeing a lot of multifamily. You might have to re-strategize that, get into a single family, and things of that nature. So and and also losing to all cash uh, investors. That's a uh, cash is cash is king right now. So I mean, what is your advice to someone who's talking to you about this? And and I mean, it might persuade you to just jump on a deal um, when you see one because there's there's not a lot out there.
0: And you're right. So two things. I do believe that we are starting to see some type of, you know, uh, bright light or silver lining when it comes to low inventory. You know, we do see I think last month uh, was a very big number in in um, housing starts and uh, permits. So this is good for us to see that, you know, the market is starting slowly to kind of come back in terms of building. And we do hope at some point that, you know, inventory is gonna come back to solve that problem, right? But going back to what you were saying, I do think it's important. um, If someone sees an opportunity, as you said, you need to act upon it Um, because there are investors and we've seen many major institutions nationwide that are looking at housing, And that are buying up, right, major chunks and and portfolios of housing because they're trying to now, in a sense, force a lot of buyers or want to be buyers into renters. They're looking at uh, cash flow. And this is one of the main things that they're focusing on. So what I try to tell buyers are, you see that opportunity that's there? Don't don't overthink it. Go for it. It will always work out right? As long as you secure the property, there are going to be options for you. As I mentioned, refinancing, right? So if we even looked at people that bought homes in the last five years, there was opportunities all along for them to refinance, especially in the last year and a half to two years where they were able to refinance and significantly lower their interest rate. So whatever they were paying was just in a sense, short term. And then they were able to capitalize and lock in much lower interest rates for their long-term. So, um, that's my advice to Jen's ears. Uh, again, you know, don't overthink it. Um, if there's opportunities, take advantage of it. And here's the other thing that I tell a lot of people all the time. Again, you're not locked into a property for 30 years. If for whatever reason you run into a little bit of a hurdle and you feel like, you, you know, you're stumbling and, and it's maybe a little difficult to pay that mortgage, sell the property more than likely you'll turn a profit on it anyway. And mm-hmm. then you can, you can learn from that. And understand what you need to do differently when you're buying the next time.
1: Mm-hmm. And let's talk about timing the market. How you think of that strategy? And a lot of recession fears are going around for 2023. So, what would you say to someone who's considering either buying now or waiting for the recession to happen?
0: So, you know, this is a, a, just a question that I love answering um, because okay. it is it is obviously a question that is out there, and so many people ask that same question. My honest belief is that there is always opportunities in a down market, in an up market, in a recessionary market, in, you know, a a great market like what we saw the last two years. um, There are always opportunities. Right. And you're always going to question whether you're buying at the right time. And, And again, if I look back. At, at history. I think about, I'm going to give my my parents as, as an example, that bought a home back in the 1980s. And at that point, they paid about $150,000 for that property at a 13% interest rate. And that was considerably high at that time, right? Not just the interest rate wise, but the location where they were buying at the price wise. Fast forward that, right? From 1988 to now that property is worth well over, uh, let's say a million dollars. Okay. now, had they thought about not buying back then, they would have lost out on the opportunity that they have now. And similarly, for people that bought homes back in, you know, in in the early 2000s, the mid 2000s, same thing. There was there was a fear of there's a housing collapse. Am I making the right decision by buying now? And I've seen I've seen some of those same buyers buy two family properties in Brooklyn for 500,000 that are now worth 2.5 million or $3 million, right? Um, and I could say that the same exact thing for people that are buying in 2020, when they were thinking, Oh my goodness. I'm paying 40, 50, $60,000 above asking price. I'm being asked to waive contingencies. And, you know, am I buying at the right time? And again, there we're locking in two and a half, two and three quarter interest rates, 3% interest rates that we might never ever see again. So the point that I'm trying to say with all this is that number one, you can't time the market. Number two, there's always going to be opportunities. You just have to do your due diligence. And if the numbers are right, because you have to know your affordability. And if the numbers are right, go for it. But I could tell you what I have learned in the long-term trajectory of real estate is that even though it has its ups and downs, it continues to go higher. And so over the last 30 years, you can continue to see higher and higher growth.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess to somebody who's who just got into a house and oh, my God, they're hearing all these recession fears, you would say, just hold, just hold. Oh, on. yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, it's the same thing that I, I said to a lot of people back in 2008. You know, you just got to make it through it. And you'll see a turn in the market and values will go up. And, and that's exactly what happened for many, many homeowners. And the funny thing is that, you know, there was a study that talked about, you know, homeowners right now are sitting on record amounts of equity, meaning that their homes have never been valued higher than they are right now. So just going back to what we were talking about, if you were a homeowner in the last in, in the recession and the housing collapse, you were thinking, oh my goodness, you know, what do I do? Should I sell? Should I hold? Should I never buy again? And if you did hold out, look at how much value and equity you've built in your property over the last you know, 13 years. Right. So my, my advice to anyone that's a homeowner right now, hold on. Hold on to it. Whether it's three years, five years, 10 years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to say, thank goodness I did.
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I know we talked a little bit about financial literacy and education before. Do you see that a lot of Gen Z and millennial clients uh, want you as their teacher? What kind of relationship are they looking for with their loan officer?
0: I think it's a combination. I think for many of them, they're coming into a conversation, um, you know, with uh some type of education right whether it's online whether it's through social media so they have some essence of understanding you know what they're looking to do but what they're really wanting from a loan officer is someone that's going to really be able to explain it break it down you know um dive through their questions and make it clear and concise exactly what their goals are how they achieve it and then how i by the information that i'm giving can provide you know um uh, direction for them, right? So it, it it's about being able to provide answers. But I think for many of them, uh, fortunately, they have their parents, and they don't want to make some of the mistakes and um, go through some of the things that their parents have. So they're going into things asking more questions. They're a little bit more hesitant to jump into something if it doesn't seem secure or comfortable which again, I'm very happy about because it means that they're doing their due diligence. Right. Um, so that's why for me, I think, uh, I, I, I love being a teacher. I love hearing their questions and I love being able to kind of guide them through that entire process. Um, and, and, uh, you know, seeing just the entire steps that they go through. And then when they get to that end goal, it's like, you know, wow, I, I didn't realize that either it's, it's as easy as you made it seem, or, you know, I didn't realize that this was even something that was possible for me. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, I definitely think that I see the, 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 the student teacher relationship a lot more. Don't miss the largest regional mortgage show in the nation. The New England Mortgage Expo returns to Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, January 12th and 13th. See us at www.nemortgageexpo.com. Start your year with the best connections in the industry. Dozens of sessions, scores of exhibitors. It's where success is written every hour. www.nemortgageexpo.com.
1: Awesome. And would you encourage kind of the wider industry to really hone in on that Um, teaching dynamic, especially as they start to work with more and more of these borrowers. Do you believe that, you know, it's the loan officer responsibility to do that?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, times have changed, right? The market has changed. Buyers have changed. Um, You know, as I mentioned before, when I even believe my parents were buying a home, they really didn't ask questions. They would go in, they would say, hey, I want this home that loan officer would pretty much say, this is what you qualify for to get that house and take it or leave it type of thing. No education as to why, no education as to what to, what you know other products might be out there, um, nothing. And so they just took what they got. You know, I love being able to, and, and here's the reason why I also believe that. I believe what I'm developing are long-term relationships because I've seen people that have bought their first property A few years later, bought an investment property or a second home, have bought, you know, other maybe commercial properties or, you know, other uh, investment properties and built portfolios. And it all started out with education, going through um, what it was that they were looking to do, showing them how they can achieve that goal, explaining to them all of the options that were available to them being able to take time and answer and make sure I answered all of their questions, made sure they were comfortable. That is super important to me. And I think for the large, um, you know, uh, demographic of lenders, that's a lesson that they need to learn. You know, this isn't sales. This isn't, you know, we want to get someone in and out the door. No, this is, we want to develop and cultivate relationships and long-term. And if you're not changing that mindset, from, Hey, this, uh, like I'm doing this person a favor by giving them a loan and getting them in and out the door. And I don't want to answer their questions. And I want to move on to the next. If you don't change out of that mindset as an originator or a lender, then you're going to get left behind. Because as I said, the culture of buying is completely different. Right. And even, and and they'll fact check you. And I even kind of was talking about this uh, a little earlier with the fact that, you know, even if you have a conversation, they want to look at your social media, they want to see the content that you're putting out there right they want to see that hey is this guy actually um you know bringing something that's fruitful and 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 it gives a sort of credibility to the things that you say mm-hmm. so if you're not also using social media as part of you know your entire portfolio of how you're servicing your clients then you're really missing out
1: yeah awesome and um a lot of people say that uh gen zers have unrealistic expectations when it comes to, to home buying. But I I imagine with a little bit of financial education and those, those dreams can actually become realities. But again, it's a, it's, it's an education thing.
0: Yeah, no. And absolutely about that. The one thing I will say about the unrealistic or, you know, expectations, um, The one thing I would like to kind of try to maybe shine some light on is that in the home buying process, you know, there's a lot that you need to consider. And there's a lot to the entire puzzle or the entire pie. And interest rates are one part of that. I think too often, too much emphasis is just placed on that one piece, which is just interest rate. And they will shop around and shop around and shop around until they see a rate that they want or that they're hoping for. And if they see it, they're going to jump on that. But they're not understanding that there are a whole bunch of other aspects to that lending, right? Like you have to consider how flexible that bank is with their underwriting guidelines, right? What debt to income ratios are they using to qualify? Um, What type of loan products are they offering? What type of credit scores do they allow for? So these are all part of the important process that you need to ask or or be, you know, questions you need to ask that lender before you make a decision. Um, And so sometimes when I say there's unrealistic expectations, we can't always go with just something that we might see online and think that, you know, uh, I, I say it all the time. If something sometimes seems too good to be true, you should believe that it is. Um, and so it's about educating them and showing them that, hey, sometimes what you see online is not what the real world has to offer. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand that even if that kind of piques your interest because you see what you want, there are other aspects of the buying process that you have to consider, right? Um, and that's also very important. And so I've had the experience of working with buyers that we've been able to get them pre-approved, walk them through the process. In a couple of weeks, they were able to find a property and close within, let's say, 30 days, right? So from start to finish, they were able to get something done in about 60 days. And I've seen the same exact people that started that process sometimes chasing uh and shopping around with lenders and lenders and lenders to see who can they get the best interest rate, and sometimes end up 60 days later with their backs against the wall where in their contracts and they, the 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 lender or the bank is not able to approve their loan because they didn't meet that bank's guidelines. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that they really have to pay attention to and understand that interest rates aren't the only thing you need to consider when buying.
1: Mm -hmm. And I'm going to ask this because this is, has uh, become a problem as of recently are Gen Z home buyers who are pulling out of contracts, canceling contracts, which could have repercussions for the loan officers, you know, with money, the time that you've dedicated to them and things of that nature. Um, the most out of any other generation in the housing market, that's partially, uh, you know, unsurprising because they're so young. Of course, when you're young, you might have unrealistic expectations, but we're also seeing that they're buying homes, you know, sight unseen. Perhaps that was more so in COVID, but we're, we're seeing that a lot with this generation. Um, in August, 15.2% of home purchase agreements fell through. Um, and that's according to a report Um from Redfin. But yeah, losing your 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 deposit or losing time spent on this client, how do you know if a client is worth spending time on? Is this a fear that you have people pulling out of contracts and how, you know, reliable this person is?
0: So, the first thing is, I mean, for me it's never about losing business. Um my number one agenda is if someone comes to me for help or, you know, wants to get pre or wants to get a mortgage, regardless of what the end outcome is, My job is to work with them, help them, educate them and walk them through the process as if they were going to close every single one of those deals. Now, what I think, and and at least from my experience, um, when that has come up, it has been because of fear, right? I think the reason why we're seeing record amounts of buyers walking out of contracts, backing out of it is because fear, fear of, is the market going to collapse So now, if I buy a property now, am I going to lose, you know, a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars worth of the value of my property? And it's going to be worth half of what I buy it for now. And so I, you know, I'm just going to hold out or, you know, I want to again time the market perfectly. So now that I've seen that rates are high, I'm going to back out with the expectations and the hopes that homeowners are going to bring prices down. And now I'm going to jump back in because I'm saving money and I'm getting a property at a discounted rate, right? And so like what I try to explain to the, those buyers is two things. One, what's the reason why you you even went into contract? Because that's also very important, right? If you're buying a property because hey, I need it for my family or I want to own a home, your mindset's going to be very different than if you're looking at it just strictly from an investment side, right? Because if there's not a lot of, you know, interest and and heartfelt um emotions into that transaction. It's easy for you to just back out of it. So I think the reason why we're starting to see, or have seen a lot of people back out of contracts is because the emotion isn't tied to, into it. They're looking at it from an investment st- standpoint. You know, I know that there's been a lot, a lot of information, um, uh, on social media, about like you know, like the Burr method, if you want to be an investor, or the four three two one method, and so what a lot of people started to look at is homes as strictly an investment, right? Something that I can buy, or even from a flip side, I could buy it, get in at this price, flip it, and make some money. So the emotional part of it wasn't tied in, so it was easy for them to back out of it. But I think once, even for those buyers. You take the fear out of the equation and show them there's opportunities, right? So even if you consider that values might be dropping, there's opportunities to rent the properties because we still see rent prices that continue to uh, increase, right? So that's also an opportunity to show them. So once you start to take the fear out and show them the opportunities, like even the part about, you know, in a year or two from now, when interest rates go down, you can refinance, then you start to see the, oh, Okay, so then you know what? I'm comfortable with moving forward. I think what happened is for most loan officers, they're not there trying to, you know, answer and speak to that fear that their buyers have and take the time to answer those questions um, and hear those concerns. And so if you kind of leave them out there on their own then and, and they have no guidance, it's easy for them to just back out of a deal.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm curious how long have you been working with these generations and and why did you want to begin? I know you said you like teaching them, you like this type of relationship that you have with them. So I'm, I'm I'm wondering what really pushed you in this direction.
0: So first of all, I got into the mortgage industry when I was 22 years old. So for me, first off, I remember getting into the industry there was really no education. Um and even in Even when I was in the process of buying my first home, and as I mentioned at 24 and and being in the industry, there was so much I was fearful of. Mm -hmm. So I remember what it was like when I was buying. I remember the lack of education. I remember the lack of care from loan offices at that time. And so I wanted to be different. So for me, um, I would say at least the last five years, six years, I've really made it a goal to focus in and 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 just in also just in natural progression a lot of my clients from back then they now have kids and their kids want to buy and they want to help them out and so they want to send them to someone and refer them to someone that they trust and they know you know that's going to guide them into the in, in the right process. So um I as I said in the last 5 6 years I've really had a heart to help um those Gen Zers because I think that I as 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 I said, first of all, I'm proud of what they're doing. I'm proud of the fact that you know they're looking at deploying their their money into um, smart assets, right? Instead of let's say depreciating assets. And so when I look at the opportunities that they have, it gets me excited to see if they start doing these things now, where they might be five years from now, ten years from now, fifteen years from now. Um, and so uh, as I said. I love answering questions, um, hearing what their goals are, and helping to kind of formulate a plan to to make it a reality.
1: Mm-hmm. And I see you kind of take on that educational aspect in your TikTok videos and on Instagram with those short little videos. Those are fun to watch too. And you kind of have this this persona of I have it very together. I'm I'm a guiding hand. I'll I'll take you under the wing. So let's talk about how what social media has done for your business and how it's helped you and how you kind of created this, you know, this thing that's, that's helped you.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, again, um, I knew social media was going to be a main part of my business years ago. Um, And I invested heavily into building the content out and putting it out there because people wanted information. I think about it for myself. Um, you know, I wanted to get information. And when I would see someone putting out content that was informational, it made me interested in following them. Mm-hmm. And I would look at their their page and I would look at their, um, their websites and, and all their information so I can gain that knowledge. And so I thought about the same thing. I'm like, what a great place for two things, to build a brand and your credibility, because now people are getting to see you. It's like your resume. They get to hear exactly what you have to say, what you feel, what you think. So they're getting a good insight to who they're dealing with, but ever first meeting you. Um, And then the second part about it is, is really and truly putting the right information out there. So I get DMs and private messages all the time with people that are maybe scared to pick up the phone and make a phone call. But it's easier for them to see a video and send a message and say, hey, you know, I saw this how, how can I, how can I apply this to me? Or, you know, if I'm trying to buy, how can I overcome this obstacle? Um, and so I love interacting with people because then I know that the content that I'm putting out there is good for them. Right. Um, and it's helping them. And so as going back to what we were saying, that's all part of that same process, whether I'm speaking to them on the phone, whether it's through Instagram or, or TikTok, it's all about being able to educate people. Mm -hmm. And, um, and just recently, I, you know, and I wanted to just use this gentleman, um, I was able to work with this, um, a Gen here. saw one of my videos, sent me a DM, wanted to know what the process was in terms of starting to buy a house. Um, we were able to message back and forth. I told him what he needed to do to get pre-approved. He actually came into the office. We sat down, we went through everything. He was able to find a property with a realtor in just a couple of weeks. And you know, right now we just cleared his file to close a week and a half ago and he's being scheduled to close um, later on this week. And it all started with a DM. Didn't know where the process, you know, how to start it. Didn't know what to do, but know that he had some money. He wanted to invest it. He wanted to become a homeowner. He wanted to, uh, uh, again, utilize, at least in, for what he believed, his money in the right way. And we were now able to look at all of what he was trying to accomplish and show him how to do it.
1: Wow. And how often does that happen where someone directly, you know, DMs you or reaches out to you on social media? Does that Does that happen for you a lot? Every
0: day. And I'm proud to say that. And I'm happy to say that. Um, There was even a gentleman that wanted to become a loan officer. And he had reached out to a few other people. Unfortunately, they, they did not get back to him. Um... I, he reached out to me. I I was able to, to private uh, DM him back, gave him my contact information. He called me. We spoke for about an hour, gave him all the resources and the tools that he needed in order to become a licensed originator and, and walk him through the steps. And, you know, the last thing he said to me, is, he goes, can I ask you a question? You're the only one that got back to me why, 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 why do you do this? Like, why do you put out content and why do you actually like help people, like get back to people? And I said, because I also want to practice what I preach, right? And if I'm going to put content out there and share who I am, I don't want to just be a facade or or this thing that's out there for the public to see, but in, in reality, I'm something different. No. And so I took the time to help him out. I took the time to guide him. I took the time to answer his questions. And I said, because it all goes back to who I am as a core. I remember when I got into the industry, what it was like, and I always wanted to stay true to who I was being able to help people. So whether it's through social media or in person, I look at it as that's a legitimate person that I get an opportunity to help.
1: Mm -hmm. And for someone who's still learning how to hone their craft using social media to generate business, how authentic should you be? Because I know at conferences and and presentations, they they tell you, uh, you know, maybe don't put your your political mention politics or promote a certain political party or, you know, but even though that is kind of true to yourself, you know. What is the threshold there and how should you present yourself on social media, maybe without coming off e- too scammy either?
0: So I, I do believe that at least for me, right, the blueprint that I go off of is I keep it to my business and providing the best possible information that I can from for my business. So anyone that's interested in mortgages, in 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 a loan, and in the process, that's the content that I want to really put out and be genuine about it. But also um, to get deep within that, right, and not just kind of cover the surface topics, because I try to go and take real life questions that I'm asked. And then use that to put it out there as content, because I believe that there are general things that people want to know. Um, So all of my social media posts are based on, you know, some type of scenario, some type of real question. Um, and so I try to be as authentic with that information, right? So for me, it's not going on there trying to sell the fluff and trying to make something look um, shiny than, than what it really is. Um, and, I, and that's my advice to anyone that's on social media. Like you could be genuine and people will see that. Like they will see the passion in you for what it is that you're putting out content about. For me, I hear that all the time that people look, say they look at my videos and they can see the passion that I have about mortgages and about working with buyers and about working with, um, you know, uh, current homeowners. And, and that's what I try to stay to, um, in terms of the other parts of it, you know, do I give glimpses into, or a glimpse into my personal life, like posting stuff in my family? Absolutely. Because I'm human, just like everyone else. I want them to share in those moments with me, um, and my followers to be able to see that human aspect of me so they can see that I'm, I'm no one different like them. Right. Mm -hmm. I have obstacles. If I go to buy a car, I might not have the same type of education as someone that's in the car industry. Right. That's selling cars. So I have to rely on doing my own research and kind of, you know, um, acting on the things that I preach about when it comes to mortgages Mm -hmm. um, and in other aspects of my life. So I try to kind of show that side of it. Like, listen, I'm just like you and I go through the same things. It might be with something else, like what you're dealing with, with mortgages. But we're all in this together.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And speaking of your TikTok videos, I saw one recently that I thought was interesting, Um, a problem or maybe a red flag that Gen Zers and millennials see as your loan officer who maybe doesn't have a home for themselves or doesn't have an investment property, but they're pitching this to you and they're saying now's the time to buy. Now's the time to get an investment property. So do you think that's something they should share on social media if they have investment property, show people that you're practicing what you preach? Yeah,
0: look, and and I get that the industry, um, it's a business, right? So not everyone, depending on where you are, uh, in terms of experience, has the ability to have that. But I do believe very strongly, like, if you are going to go in depth about breaking down, you know, why people need. And again, I'm stressing that that point, like why someone needs to do this or why someone has to do that or why you might be foolish if you're not doing this. If you're going to go out and you're going to make those bold statements, then you kind of have to be able to back it up. Right. So I do believe, yes, credibility is important. So if you're going to put out those types of videos out there, then people have to see why you're able to do that. Um, for me, when I could tell people, like, hey, you can use the BURM method to accomplish something, or a 4321 method to accomplish something, or how you can start by buying a co op and working your way up to multifamily properties as, own, as a home ownership, I can do all of that for several different reasons because of my experience and in terms of uh, as long as I've been in the industry. And then from a personal side of things, of owning multiple properties and buying a home when I was 24 and my second home at 27, you know, I've been through that. So I understand the mindset and I can show them the path that I took and how it worked for me and and how it might help them. But yeah, if, if I, if you haven't walked that walk, you shouldn't talk the talk. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that there should be more accountability and credibility for people that are putting out those type of videos
1: and how easily you know can you build your business working with this generation i know lots of people already work with with millennials but this younger you know uh, tech savvy financial savvy generation i imagine that these are repeat customers especially if they're using the investor mindset and um so how does word get around you know how quickly do you jump into working with this generation to seeing a bunch of your clients from this generation
0: so i mean here's the thing I, I I see this generation and I've worked with them that have bought multiple properties um, because they know what they want and they're just out there looking for opportunities so if they go into this with the mindset again as an investor they know what they want and what, from the initial sit down maybe from before they purchased their first property we go through one what their mindset is and then how or what type of um uh financial products in terms of loans uh, are available for them to 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 kind of get to that goal right so now now that they know what options are there they have their agenda Now they just put the two together. So anytime those opportunities come, they are already fast to it. And what I love about it, as someone that's been in the industry, when everything was handwritten and we had to handwrite loan applications and hand sign every document to now where everything could be done electronically. Like we have a mobile app at Meadowbrook that we uh, send to our borrowers. They could complete all of their loan application right through their uh, phone or their iPad or on the computer. They can upload their paperwork. They could get an approval in 24 to 48 hours. Um, They get notifications of every milestone as the loan process goes uh, forward. And typically, in about 30 days, that transaction is closed. So, you know, it just becomes, it allows us now with technology to service many more people. Um, And I believe it's, it's obvious, I, I think it's an easier way of working with clients. So I love Gen Zers because if I say to them, hey, Um, and and everything doesn't also have to be by, uh, by face or by a telephone conversation. A lot of our chats are straight through text messages. Um, you know, so if I'm on the phone or if I'm doing something or if I'm, let's say on this podcast, I can be texting back my clients, getting back to them right now, answering their questions and that's all they want. So there's always this sense of touch, um, and they know what's happening. And so, like I said, for me, I truly enjoy working with the generation because I feel like it just makes my life easier.
1: It does sound a lot easier. I mean, who wouldn't like that? Just handling it over a text conversation rather than getting on the phone or meeting for a lunch date or, or anything like that. It seems... Yeah. Yeah,
0: Or having to even be in the office like I can meet them on Zoom and it works around their time. Right. So like if it's after hours, they just got home from work, they want to have dinner and then jump on a Zoom at eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night or seven o'clock in the morning. I don't now have to plan my schedule to think, well, I have to stay in the office till seven, eight, nine o'clock at night or get in the office at seven o'clock in the morning. And even for them, they don't have to shift their schedules around to be able to make an appointment, right? We could just jump on a Zoom, have a quick conversation, go through everything. And then the next step is, here's the mobile app, upload all your information, you know, send me what I need. I'll get you your pre-approval right back through email or right through your mobile app. And then everything could go right through there.
1: Absolutely. So- I mean you're working with the the generation of the future. They may not be a majority now, but eventually and inevitably they will be. And they also happen to be the most ethnically diverse generation on record with only 52% you know non-Hispanic white and and the rest, the rest are a mix of, you know, races and 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 things of that nature. So, um do you think currently the industry is prepared to work with this generation? Do we still have more work to do with catering to Hispanic uh, Hispanic borrowers and and people coming from with different cultures and ethnicities and things things of that nature?
0: I think we've come we've made a lot of headway, but we still have a lot a, a lot to go. Um we have a lot more to do. Um I do believe that in the last few years especially with the non-QM products um it has really opened up a platform for a lot of um of, of that group to be able to become homeowners and i still think that you know we have a lot more work to do because again we have to understand that in lending and and, and even as a as a country right and an economy as as a whole no one just fits into cookie cutter boxes anymore right like it's just so diverse with tech and all these types of businesses and how people earn money and just talking back about it you know whether you're 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 starting an online business or whether you're advertising through social media and you're getting income coming in through there or whether you're doing crypto or day trading or whatever it is there're not a lot of products that banks or traditional and I want to keep honing on that there're not a lot of products that traditional lending offers because they're still looking at everything from a cookie cutter aspect, right? They still want certain types of credit scores uh, generated that they're going to use to make their lending decision. They still want certain types of debt to income ratio. They still want certain types of income to be documented a certain way. And that's why those, and I personally believe those type of generation, uh, those type of lenders that don't start to change that are going to get left behind and they're going to miss out. And that's why we also see the rise of a lot more Online lenders, right? Um, That are catering to the new age of buyers, understanding that, hey, we want automated approvals, right? Artificial intelligence utilizing that. We want to use technology as part of our whole entire process that I mentioned before, right? Um, Being able to just do everything electronically. So I do believe that in terms of lending, we also need to start or at least continue the path of opening up opportunities and coming up with creative. Ways of lending, and you know the funny thing I do want to share is, if you mentioned the type of products that are available right now through non-QM loans, if you mentioned those type of products six, seven, eight years ago to somebody, they would think that you're crazy and that that client would go into default. And what they've learned since then is that it's actually the complete opposite. Those those uh, borrowers actually are more invested to, into their properties. So what they're finding is that those loans are actually performing. Those buyers are actually very good, you know, um, uh, handlers of, of debt and and they're making their mortgage payments on time. And so I think that's also why you're starting to see as the years go by, um, you know, more of those type of products coming out to make it available for, for home buyers. So ha- going back to answer your question, have we, come a far way? Absolutely. Do we have a lot more work to do? Absolutely. I believe that.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, one last question. I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Nearly 45% of Gen Zers are looking to purchase their first home in the next five years. I thought that was a pretty shocking you know, statistic. Ver- shows how ambitious they are. Do you think that many Gen Zers will actually accomplish buying a home in the next five years?
0: I think once they get it out there uh, out their minds about where interest rates are now and get out the fear of the recession and get out the fear of, you know, or or the the mindset of trying to also time the market. I think those are three main things that they continue to look at is, again, where interest rates are, fear of recession and, um, uh, you know, just trying to time the market. I think they can accomplish that. And I think for the ones that can actually put those three things aside and just look at the market as a whole. And as I said, if there's an opportunity, if they get themselves pre-approved, they go out there, they see a property, there's an opportunity in their budget. And that's what's important. They have to look at what their budget is and what they want their monthly payment to be. If they can find a property that falls into that budget, go for it. Doesn't matter what the rate is. Doesn't matter if there is a recession. Doesn't matter you know if your time in the market take advantage of an opportunity when it's there because there's always time ahead of us and if you again look at the past as a way to teach us the future we've learned that even in the worst economic downturn in the housing market where we saw you know home prices depreciate by 50 60 70% we saw massive amounts of foreclosures and records amounts of foreclosures look at what we came back from look at 10 years later, 5 years, 10 years, 15 years later, where we're going to be. Look at that as your your guide forward and understanding that there are always great opportunities to buy. And so my hope is for that 45% that the majority of you will not let these exterior factors hold you back from accomplishing your goal. You should go out there, look for opportunities, and get into it.
1: Absolutely. And I think if there's more loan officers like you and more people like you in the industry, I think it's absolutely possible as long as people let their fear goes and, and you know start working with this generation. You never know what it can bring for you. So thank you so much, Rajin, for coming on the podcast and telling us about this. A lot of people are now wanting to work with Gen Zers and, and more millennials and people of the younger generation. So those are the first time homebuyers we're seeing and you've definitely helped a lot and given great advice.
0: Thank you so much. And again, I appreciate this opportunity. I had a ton of fun answering these questions and uh, I hope that it's provided some type of, um, you know, uh, insight for, for your listeners.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. This is Gated Communities hosted by me, Katie Jensen for the Mortgage News Network. All episodes are produced by T.G. Kudem Karor and Matthew Mullins. Our head of multimedia is Mike Savino, and our editor-in-chief is Christine Stewart. Make sure you subscribe to Gated Communities so you get future episodes, and be sure to rate and review it so others can find it. The song you heard at the beginning was Wild Side by Saint Society, and the song you hear now is Will You Dance With Me by Lala Nia. This podcast is copyrighted by American Business Media.
0: This podcast was brought to you by PennyMac TPO. Visit tpo.pennymac.com to learn more about becoming a partner and starting your journey to greatness. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC. Equal housing lender NMLS ID number 35953. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply.